In this series, we explore the landscape of students, smartphones, and social media, asking global experts to explain the hard truths about the mental health decline among youth on campuses around the world and inspire us with the evidence-based strategies that will turn the tide. Thank you for being here. When the 65 high schoolers who attend Buxton Boarding School in Williamstown, Massachusetts, resumed in-person learning in the fall of 2020, their head of school, Peter Beck, noticed that the students had lost something important. After months of remote learning due to the pandemic, kids no longer knew how to interact with one another. The kids had completely forgotten the basics of face-to-face interaction, he said. They had spent so much time glued to their smartphones. Everybody's attention was being sucked into their online lives, text messages, emails, and social media apps on their phones. The students struggled to converse with one another. The ability to be with or just sit with other people was completely gone at that point. They decided to conduct a social experiment, first with a small group of just 12 people, and then finally a smartphone ban for the entire campus, faculty, students, and administration. Instead, each member of the community was given a light phone, a minimalist device designed to be used as little as possible, where smartphones make it easier to do more of the wrong things like doom scroll and binge watch. The light phone makes it easier to pay attention to what matters, the people and experiences right in front of you. The kids at Buxton, they've never been happier. Please enjoy my conversation with Lightphone co-founder Joe Hollier and Buxton co-director John Kalaposh. Welcome, Joe and John. Hello. So, John, let's start with you. Can you tell us a bit about Buxton and its missions or the size of the school? Like, what, what makes Buxton unique? Yeah, so Buxton is a small progressive boarding school in the northwestern corner of Massachusetts. And what we do more than most other places I've been is it's it's an exercise in living in intentional community and learning who oneself is through being in community. Um, and so what that means in a practical way is sort of like we are small, we are about 60 students um, and about 15 adults. And we are sort of like really interested in asking the question of like, who are you? Like, what are you interested in? What do you want to do? And then how does how do those interests and passions sort of drive one's relationship to self and community. Um, and that's sort of, we try to embody that in many different ways. Like our students are sort of responsible for doing everything from maintaining the upkeep of the campus. We split all our own wood that heats our buildings. And then teachers sort of in the same vein, we work alongside students doing all of that. And then we sort of have a pretty, a, a model of sort of collaboration between students and teachers. So. If that was jumbled, I'm sorry. But no, that was important. very succinct. And I'm I'm curious, so 60 students, I mean, obviously a very tight-knit community. What kind of a student, or probably more the question is, parents or family, you know, is drawn to a Buxton experience? What does your student body actually look like? Yeah, so we have students from all over the country, um, a couple of students international. Um, and what a Buxton student is looking for is something different than it's offered, right? Our students are really interested in sort of like we have three art studios that are open 24 seven, right? You, so you'll have students that are arts focused. You'll have students that really want classes that engage more on the discussion front, or you want students who want to be living in a very tight knit community and sort of like taking control of their agency within that community, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's sort of like a, 
how do you identify the skills you need to make change in your community? You can do it on a small scale and that scales up in incredible ways. And then the age mix there. So what what are the ages we're talking about? Uh, we're at high school. So it's uh, ninth through 12th grade. And then ages sort of fluctuate in that. So obviously culture is huge at a school like Buxton. Um, tell us about what happened with the sort of growing use of smartphones and social media on your campus. What were some of the negative ways that was impacting your campus culture? Yeah, so pre-COVID, um, there was sort of an awareness of the space that they took up, right? And so you'd have like days where people would be like, let's do smartphone free Monday, like keep it in your room, whatever. And it was sort of an awareness that these things are taking up a lot of space and and sort of like a light pushback against them, but also like a pretty common acceptance that these are a part of our lives and they need to be a part of our lives, right? Um, then the pandemic hit and our screens were our windows into the rest of our lives. And I think like it, it was important. It was important that we had these resources, but then transitioning off of them was really hard. I remember in 2020 and in 2021 sort of trying to teach and students like being conditioned to think that they get more of their lives from their screens than they do for those around mm. them. And a place like Buxton, where like everything we do is to be in community with each other. And so there's nothing that's happening sort of here that like can't be happening here physically, right? And so those those little interactions, the seven minutes between class, the sitting at tables for meals, like those are the important things. Like those are the mm -hmm. things that sort of give us the skills and the, the, the enjoyment, right? The enjoyment of being a student, the enjoyment of working with students. Like I cannot tell you how many times I had to say, put your phone away in class. And I don't have to do that anymore. It's great. So, yeah. <laughs> Enter light, who's made that possible. Um, Joe, tell us about your phones. How are they different from an average phone on the market? Yeah. So with the light phone, really, I think what we try to strive for is intentionality and intentional use. And we actually say it's a phone designed to be used as little as possible on purpose. Uh, and what that really means is that there's no infinite feeds, there's no social media, there's no clickbait news or email feeds to kind of check and check and check. Uh, and it's actually just a really simplified cell phone that tries to take the best utility of technology. It's not a complete disregard for, for modern technology, but to have things like simple directions or a hotspot and some of these other things that you might need without any of the bells and whistles that we found ourselves kind of vulnerable to, you know, overuse. Uh, so the light phone, it's really about getting a phone that does a couple of things, uh, knows what it does and doesn't try to do anything else. And I think the biggest benefit uh, for a lot of our users is the amount of time that they get back. Um, mm. And, you know, that's usually in the vein of hours a day of screen time. Uh, and obviously the time itself is really important. But I think with that comes a, a huge peace of mind from just stepping away from, you know, these feeds that are so used to kind of poking us this way and that way and playing with our up and down emotions. Um, and so it's kind of like this peace of mind and then this time and it can really culminate into something beautiful. Uh, but it can also be very difficult, you know, being faced with this kind of new existential crisis of now what do I do that I can't just pull out my phone while I'm waiting for a train. I need to actually sit with my thoughts or Saturday morning, what am I going to do? You can't just kind of like scroll and 
hope something tells you what maybe you can do. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a hard thing for people to get used to, but I think, uh, for, for users that have been able to successfully integrate it, uh, it's been a really profound shift and that's, you know, kind of all we could ever ask for. Yeah, I know, you know, I've had many conversations about light and your mission and vision behind it, you know, from the very beginning. And I love your line about how the friction in using a light phone is a feature, not a bug. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, we hear countless stories of like, especially as the QR codes became much more prominent over the pandemic of like, you know, well, I had to like ask the waiter for a physical menu and they said, oh, what, what's that phone? And it, it sparks all these kind of beautiful conversations. And, you know, they were like, I had this waiter tell me I should get this. And I tried something new and, uh, you know, can really take a different course than just, you know, I think we kind of convince ourselves that we need all these conveniences all the time without wondering what we might be missing out on by having such conveniences. I love that. So where did the idea for Buxton going light come from? And I'll just let both of you sort of jump in. Where did this emerge from? Well, Buxton actually initiated it. I think light... John just pointed to himself for those not visibly <laughs> looking at him. <laughs> oh, I was pointing to Joe to answer the question. Oh, to Joe. Okay, Joe. Okay, Joe. Uh, so, I mean, working with schools was something that we've kind of always thought about. I mean, uh, presenting the light phone to people, we've always gotten the reaction that this would be a great kid's phone. But being a non-parent myself and my co-founder, um, we just weren't sure, you know, we kind of said like what kid would possibly want to give up their smartphone for, you know, a simpler phone, uh, would that ever actually work? So we had had a couple of schools reach out, but then once we got through the nitty gritty and the technical hurdles and just, you know, the idea of a full blown policy, uh, it sort of fell apart. And so we'd never really tried it. Um, and a lot of those schools were public schools. So definitely introduces some other factors, but Buxton reached out uh, and wanted to, you know, learn more about the phone and they expressed a strong interest in trying this. And I think we did a little bit of a pilot at the end of one of the school years with maybe a dozen or two students and faculty. Uh, so definitely not campus wide. I was going to say, it's great that it came from Buxton. We weren't, you know, out there like salesmen looking for a school. Absolutely. And John, how did that first pilot go? It went well. I mean, I think what we learned from that pilot, which I think is on a lot of research, is that like when you're in a community and some people have smartphones and some people don't, you have this like inherent FOMO, right? Like, like if you have community and your a social life happening online and offline, and a majority of that is happening online, you feel excluded, even though there's not much to be excluded from. And so students were talking about all these benefits, right? Like Joe talks about this time, this sort of these really tangibles, but there was also this sort of like, well, my texts are green and yours are blue. Like, and so the, the natural solution to that was like, okay, the way we solve this is everybody doesn't use a smartphone, right? Like, and I think that actually, in terms of being in a community where we're smartphone free, it entirely re like removes that FOMO where there's no, well, I'd rather be, right? Like if I am tuning the world out, I'm actively doing it on a laptop or like taking some private time. But like when I'm out and I'm like, with people, I'm like intentionally being with people. And mm. it's sort of when I'm on campus, like it's very jarring to leave campus and after being here for, you know, a little while and see people looking down when they walk. It's like, why would you 
do that. Like we live in the Berkshires. It's beautiful. Like look up. You know what I mean? So you started with the pilot and then you expanded to the full community. And what I want listeners to really understand is this was not just students. This was faculty and administration. John, talk to us a little bit about the decision to make it fully campus-wide. Right. Well, well, I think like, you know, it's not just like something that plagues teenagers, right? Like this this overuse of smartphones and the ways that it encroaches on our lives is very ubiquitous. Um, I, when not working, use my smartphone way too much. And it's actually like I'm transitioning over fully right now. It's And it's something I'm really excited about. But I think like within community, right? Like the teachers recognize that we rely on our phones too much. We recognize that students do. And as administrators, like we recognize it as well, right? This sort of like there's very little you need to do in a community of 100 people that you can't achieve by having a conversation. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, if we're going to ask the students to do it, just as we ask the students to sort of take care of the campus, split wood, feed furnaces, like we do it alongside them. Like that's that's the ethos of the place. So was there a community meeting? Did like come in and show the product? How did that final decision come into being? Yeah, so the, the 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 decision to go smartphone free was a decision made by the faculty, okay. um, and that was presented to the students. And we said, we are going to be smartphone free next year to try it out. It's up to you all to like craft the policy and how we get there. So then mm-hmm. we created a committee of students. It was me and I think ten students were the same students who did the pilot with the light phone folks, and they were the ones that created all the nuance to policy, right? Like, well, what is a smartphone? How do we define that? How, like, what about tablets? What do we, like, what about access? What about sort of ability and disability? Like sort of having the students walk through these questions that are going to impact all of us, but I think are really important questions. And I think as an administrator, some of the most fun parts of creating policy, right? It's like you you set a goal and then how do you create policy to get there? Mm. So why did being this part of this project matter to you and to your team? I mean, I think kind of as I alluded to, we were really curious about organizations going light. We have seen so many parents on an individual level buy a light phone for their child and seen some of the exact same friction that John kind of spoke about where, oh, the other kids all got the picture message and they didn't get the picture message. And you know, I think, you know, for those parents, they were able to like hold the child's hand and explain why, you know, there might be more value in these little moments that feel like you're missing out. Uh, but we've always kind of felt like going together, whether that's like a couple going like together or, you know, even in families, which we've seen more of, it seemed to work better when the parents went light as well as the students. So mm-hmm. kind of the same almost hypothesis as this program. And I think, um, whether it was schools or maybe companies or other organizations, clubs, religious uh, bodies. Uh, we were just really curious of this idea of like what happens when a group of people, you know, dozens of people try going light. So I would say we were, you know, very excited, but also a little bit skeptical. Like when we sent them the 80 phones in late August or early September, we weren't sure if, you know, two weeks later, they're going to be like, yeah, this isn't really working out. (laughs) We're sending the phones back. So we were curious. I mean, on one level, the social angle of like how it will affect the, you know, kids around campus and their, their social activity, but also like 
from very practical reasons. I mean, I'm a full-time light user and the co-founder and we've, you know, embodied that throughout the company and we were able to make it work. But some people feel that for actual like work stuff for the teachers, you know, how are they going to check a schedule or what if they need to share a file on the fly? And, you know, some of those things kind of concerned me or like I was at least Mm. a little bit, you know, uncertain if the light phone would hinder uh, some of that. Uh, So I think it was just, we kind of went in with no real expectations. Cautious optimism. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And so we were just really eager to see what would happen. Let's talk about some of those practical pieces, John, because some of the ones that Joe just brought up. So for example, file sharing, et cetera, like what is the role that tablets and laptops already played? Or, you know, could we just talk about that piece to it? Yeah. That plays out at Buxton. I mean, having talked about this for around two years now, um, I sort of have yet to hear a good argument of how smartphones can achieve things that you can't achieve on a laptop and a light phone. Right. I like like it's like, there's nothing that I can't do. It's just that it's harder to do some things, but the things that it's harder to do are the things that it should probably be harder to do. Right. Like my light phone plays podcasts. When I go for a long walk in the woods, I can listen to a podcast. Like that's great. You know, I refurbed an iPod, half my music. You know, there's, there's all these ways in which that, yeah, it is easier for me to on the fly take out my smartphone and share a file on Google Drive. That is not what I use my smartphone for a majority of the time. Right. And so like I, I found having these conversations with students and parents where they make similar arguments of like, what wouldn't it be easier if it's like, yeah, it would. But like that friction is actually what we want, right? Because all the times where we're using our smartphones in ways that don't make us better are taking away from the time we have together, which in our mind at Buxton is the most valuable resource we have is that time spent together. I'm just writing that down. Smartphones make it easier to do the wrong things. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so students, you know, had access to their laptops. Obviously, you know, that wasn't a problem. I think it's helpful. I mean, people listening to this, there's, you know, I'd mentioned off the top uh, before we started recording that I've been working with Virginia Tech. And one of their challenges there is that they've got two-factor So a student has to have their phone all the time to two-factor into, you know, the online, like the LMS, their learning management system, anytime they want to take notes or access anything on their computer. So they have a massive problem, (laughs) which is that smartphones have to be present all of the time. Um, So that's something that they need to address. And of course, security is a big issue, especially at a campus like that, with the history that they have on that campus. Um, So when you think about real opportunities for other schools to take on a policy like this, we probably are looking at more of the smaller private schools, at least to begin with until, you know, some of these two-factor and other very technical pieces to puzzle. get addressed in terms of like their existing policies. Joe, like I know you guys got a lot of press around this, which is amazing. I just loved reading all the stories. I think it's quite, it's captivated people. Has there been more interested interest from other campuses in going light? Yeah, we've heard from a, a bunch of different campuses actually, but not just campuses, I'd say um, organizations of all types, but also some families are just individuals that were so moved by it. So, you know, the case study, even though we were really going for this organizational angle, I think, you know, 
showed anyone, you know, someone that's not in school at all. Oh, wow. Like I struggle with those exact same things, but it's been really cool and kind of opened up a new business opportunity for us to work with organizations in this way. Um, and each organization has its own specific needs and concerns and, you know, limitations, whether it's financial or, you know, safety, security things or, or other. Uh, so we've been working on a very case by case basis at this point, and it's been a great learning to see what some of these hurdles are, which ones might make sense for us to address and which ones are probably not our cup of tea, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe not a good fit. So uh, it's been exciting. We've definitely started to share phones with a couple more schools uh, and organizations since. And that's just so cool. It's mm, amazing. We haven't actually talked about the real positive impacts that did come out of this collaboration. John, talk to us about some of the big positive impacts that happened by removing smartphones from your campus. I mean, I think it's it's all the things you think would happen, right? It's like, so now we have students that are like more like, when you go into the dining room for lunch, it, when you have a table, there are students that are sitting there talking to each other. The expectation is that we don't just look down when we're afraid to be with our own thoughts, right? It's like there are times in which, you know, you sit, you sit at a table in between classes, students are walking alongside each other in classes. I don't have to be smartphone cop, which is what I felt like my job was turning into. We haven't done any scientific study on it, but it's like I find that my students have more of an ability to sit with their thoughts and flush things out for longer, right? Their attention spans become a little bit, I don't want to say their attention spans are longer because I, I don't want to like place this as like they're inherently a bad thing. But I do think that like I have seen more thoughtful conversation come from campus after we've removed these devices. And I think that is a really important, cool thing to come out of it. More thoughtful conversation just among the students that they're kind of thinking more deeply that the conversation is just, yeah, plumbing. Well, I mean, like if you think about like what do smartphones entice you to do, they entice you to use apps, right? What do apps do? Like social media is a really great example of like something that is really good at flattening conversation, right? It doesn't allow you to have nuanced conversations about complex topics. And so when you're sort of using these mediums less, you end up using more of those parts of your brain that allow you to hold complex ideas and see the gray areas and flush them out. And I think that's one of the most exciting parts of working with teenagers is sort of walking them through how to do that in a way that I think is fun. And I found, you know, since removing smartphones from campus, that mission becomes a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, again, I wrote down, I don't have to be a smartphone cop. I think that's what every single educator in the world feels like from K to 12 through college level, right? I often have this <laughs> image in my mind of a professor or any teacher standing at the front of the, their class, you know, with a sea of laptops and probably phones and like how the teacher sort of intuitively at this point knows what each of those students are doing. <laughs> that one's online shopping. That one's on Instagram. That one's chatting with her crush. Like, it's just like the students still somehow think that the teachers don't know. But of course, everyone knows. But there aren't clear policies around technology use basically in any educational environment. It's the, it's literally the Wild West. This is what I hear from educators everywhere. So having a clear policy like this that is completely bound up with your mission, right? What is the mission of Buxton? It is, like you said, intentional community. So anything that would hamper that, right, we would want to remove. And you've had the boldness to do it. 
and you're seeing these hugely positive results. It's amazing. So I would love to hear, so, you know, you removed the phones. Well, no, you didn't remove the phones. I have to stop saying that. You replaced the phones with the amazing minimalist tool that is the light phone. Do you feel like there's more that needs to happen on campus, John, in terms of digital well-being? Um, has that kind of hit the mark for you or are there other things that you need to address? I'd just like love to get really practical for educators that are listening to this. Sure. I mean, I think that like there's always more work to be done, right? Like I think when we think about what is a school supposed to provide in society, right? And the school, at first, it's just education. And then it's sort of like wraparound services and et cetera. And so I see my role as sort of setting the stage to get the most best possible outcomes. And so a lot of that is setting like, okay, these were not tools or devices that were helping us achieve our mission of educating people for the real world, right? And there's so many questions about like, well, don't people need to know how to navigate the world with technology? And it's like, yeah, they'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Like smartphones are really intuitive devices. Both my grandmas use smartphones. Like <laughs> it's really, really easy. And so to answer your question about digital well-being, sorry, um, is sort of, yeah, of course, right? Because you can always do the same thing with a tablet. You can create these either healthy or unhealthy relationships with a book, you know, like these are sort of ways in which like we have to be self-effacing and asking these questions of like, what are the best ways for me? But I think with many of these other mediums, there's not like legions of engineers that are like spending so much time, energy and money trying to figure out how do we extract the most time from these people, mm. right? And I think that's a really important thing to sort of define your own relationship with the media and mediums you want to interact with, especially, I think, at an adolescent age, right? So creating that environment, I think, is pretty critical to helping people develop a sense of self. Yeah. Thank you. That's a beautiful answer. And Joe, I'm thinking of you again with light and just dovetailing off of what John's just said about taking time and giving back time. I mean, that's your mandate. Your mandate is the antithesis of the smartphone, which is to give people back time, which is such an incredible mission. What did you, just to sort of wrap this up, Joe, what did you learn from this collaboration? And really, what are your hopes for the future for campuses and when it comes to going light? Yeah, I mean, I think going into it, one of my fears was that uh, because it was a policy, that you know students would be almost forced to use this light phone that that would be a huge hurdle and it was really cool to see that you know everyone can come together and accept it and i think one of those pieces is that all the students when i interviewed them were really aware that this wasn't forever it wasn't like you'll never use a smartphone again it was like you know this special point in our lives our, you know, teenage years in high school at this beautiful place with all these amazing amenities and these great people I'm surrounded with, I can do this here. Knowing very well that whether they go to college, they might try a smartphone again, and maybe, you know, they'll go through their own journey and find themselves back at a light phone. Um, but I think that was really cool to see, like, when you frame it in certain ways, you're able to get the participation and it doesn't have to be light phone or smartphone final decision forever. You know, they're mm -hmm. kind of tools that people can use or not. And so that kind of 
changed how I think about presenting the light phone as a kind of like more drastic step. It's like, no, it's totally acceptable to find these other ways or these times and places, you know, for the phone to make sense. I mean, uh, they had all sorts of great criticisms of the device itself. Um, mm. Did that, actually, know, but, did that actually help? Did it change? Did it shift any of your features? I, I would say it like solidified some already long-standing intuitions and things we'd heard. Um, I think some of the funniest things I heard were about the aesthetics of the phone, wanting colors and more bells and whistles, which is you know definitely true. We designed an incredibly minimal phone and kept it black and white, all intentional and thinking mostly of adults wanting. So that was just a kind of a funny side point. And seeing the way that these kids, you know, really pimped out their phones was really cool. Like I'm inspired now to make my phone look cooler. Like what? They just uh, like stickering it? My favorite it or... thing was yeah, uh, they had these um, like charm bracelets almost that stick into the aux port. Like they wouldn't be using the actual headphone jack and they make little, I don't know if you call it like a dongle that goes in and you can make a little charm bracelet uh and so that was super cool i think i have one right here so yeah oh yeah it's just like a little thing that hangs off (laughs) in the three art studios you have open 24 7 all the making i love it so that was cool and it was cool to hear students describing the benefits in such adult ways <laughs> like tell, me, tell us a, a couple of those benefits i mean one student i remember she was talking about how you know this was her senior year and how like the first three years at buxton she obviously remembered and loved them but it was like you know the smartphone kind of mixes up your memories and takes obviously a lot of your time so she was really grateful to have that one kind of last to really appreciate her senior year or, you know, for other people to talk about focusing on their artwork um, and seeing that as like a benefit, you know, not one that's like Buxton pushing some talking point down, but they're just like, uh, and, you know, a few of the students made it seem like they might use the phone beyond the Buxton. And that's obviously super inspiring and cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I would recommend Joe made this like incredible video uh, where he interviewed the students about their experience with going light. And anyone who's interested in this, you should definitely check out that video because hearing it from the students in their own words, I think is really powerful. We'll share that out with this episode. Thank you both so much for sharing this story. Thank you. Thanks for chatting. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free JOMO guide and it's available now at christinacrook.com. JOMO is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.